amazing promise that is for those of us who know the Lord, that for those who love him, the Lord has promised never to leave us or forsake us. Wonderful promise. Uh, as we go to the Word this morning, you can open your Bibles with me to Genesis. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 40. Genesis 40. And as we begin, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a dream so vivid, so real, that when you wake up, you're not sure that it actually wasn't real? <laughs> I can remember as a kid, I don't have dreams so much anymore, but I can remember as a kid having dreams so vivid that I'd wake up and it felt like my body was frozen in place, right? And I had to turn on the light and get up out of bed to shake my mind out of the reality that it just, it felt like it was really real. Well, this morning we're going to look at a, at a passage which deals with three dreams, three vivid dreams which turn out to be very real. Very real. Uh, we're continuing uh, in our study of the life of Joseph here at the end of Genesis. Joseph, who in his generation was specifically called and appointed by God, as we'll eventually see, uh, to save his people. Joseph, you may remember, was a dreamer. Joseph was his father's favorite son, and we know the story of the Technicolor dream coat, right? And that favoritism was a real problem for Joseph. Um, but there was something to it in that it wasn't just his father who favored Joseph. God had called him, and remember, God gave him a dream, right? He had this dream where all his brothers and even his dad and mom were bowing down to him. This dream that indicated Joseph was going to be raised up to a position of prominence in order to serve and save his people. Well, that's not the last dream that Joseph encounters in his life. In chapter 40, in the first part of chapter 41, we're going to read about three more dreams. Actually, four, depending on how you count them. Dreams given not to Joseph, but to some people he meets. A couple of buddies he meets in prison, first of all. Uh, Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker who found themselves not in Pharaoh's good graces. And they, they're going to have dreams. And Joseph will interpret them. And then Pharaoh's going to have a dream. And, and these dreams are going to serve a couple of purposes. The dreams which Joseph's buddies have there in prison are going to serve to establish Joseph as a prophet of God. What's going to become clear as Joseph interprets these dreams and then they precisely come to pass just as he said they would is that God is sovereign and that Joseph really knows God. He's gonna, his, his credibility is established. And on the basis of that credibility, Joseph is then able to ascend to the court of the perhaps the highest king in the world at the time. When he has a nightmare, he can't get out of his head. And all the king's horses and all the king's men can't seem to explain it. And Joseph is able to explain to Pharaoh his dream. And the significance of this is that the dream actually discloses something of the future. The dream actually discloses God's plan for Joseph, God's plan for Pharaoh, God's plan for the nation of Egypt. 
And by the end of the passage, Joseph is able to call Pharaoh to a point where he says, look, this is what's, what God's going to do, and this is what you need to do in light of it. And by the time we're done, I hope we can see that though maybe we have not had vivid dreams in the way that Pharaoh and his servants did, that God has revealed something to us too about his plan for our future, about his plan for the future of this world. And my prayer is that by the time we're done, that in light of what God has revealed to us about what is to come, that we'd be able to live wisely and well. I'm going to read the passage together. Uh, we're going to start in Genesis 40. We're going to read all the way through Genesis 41, verse 40. There's a nice chunk of scripture. We believe that the word of God is good food for the soul. And so we're going to have a feast this morning. And uh, I promise not to go too long in commenting on this long passage, but it's, it holds together. Genesis 40, beginning in verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly. When you were his cupbearer, only remember me when it, when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of his chief cupbearer and the head of his chief baker among his servants. 
He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to him. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive cows. And Pharaoh woke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody of the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office. And the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land 
by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, even as you opened Pharaoh's eyes and ears to understand what you had revealed to him through the ministry of Joseph, we ask now that as we come to your word that you, by your Holy Spirit, would open our eyes and ears to see wonderful things in your word, that you would show us Jesus this morning. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Three dreams, two purposes. The first dreams are to Pharaoh's servants. And these, these dreams have to do not with the fate of nations, but with the fates of these two men. And as I've already said, the purpose of these first two dreams is to establish in their minds and ultimately in Pharaoh's mind the authority and the reliability of Joseph. He's proving himself as one who, who speaks on behalf of God. I'm not sure he understands that that's what he's doing when it happens, right? But that's what God's doing in and through him. They're quite interesting dreams, right? The, the baker and the cupbearer. These are significant positions in the court of Egypt or of any great king. If you're, uh, if you're the king of one of the great empires of the world, you want to be able to trust the person who's filling your cup for mealtimes. Right? You want to trust, be able to trust the person who's putting the food on your table. And so it was a, a great honor, but obviously kind of a precarious position. Right, these two guys got themselves in a little bit of trouble. We're not told what they did. Um, but they got themselves in trouble. They're in prison for a little bit uh, while Pharaoh gets over his mood. And, and so they have these dreams. So the cupbearer has this dream of these three clusters of grapes, right? And this, in this dream, he, the, these clusters grow and they flourish, and then he squeezes them into the cup and he gives them to the Pharaoh, right? Three clusters flourish he gives it to pharaoh and the baker's dream is a little bit more ominous right where he's got these three baskets of bread made for the pharaoh and the and the top ones being eaten at right the crows are 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 getting to the bread and he's not able to bring it to pharaoh we read that they're troubled these dreams had such a weight to them that when they woke up, their, apparently their faces showed it. And Joseph comes by with their, with their breakfast sandwiches and says, what's wrong, guys? It looks like you didn't sleep very well. We've had dreams. We've had dreams. There's no one to interpret them. And what does Joseph say? This is a theme throughout this passage. 
he doesn't take any credit for himself, right? Again and again, he says, Does not, do not interpretations belong to God? This is something Joseph recognizes at every turn. Joseph understands who God is. He understands who God is. That God is not some creature like us. God is sovereign. He's not some character, just some other character in the story. He's the author of the story. He's not just some other part of the painting. He is the painter. And Joseph understands from prior experience. God has a tendency of speaking in dreams on occasion. And Joseph understands if there's someone who understands the dream, it's God. If there's someone who can reveal to these men that which is to come, it's God. Because God is a sovereign God. Do not interpretations belong to God. And so he interprets the dreams to them, right? Having to do with their fate on a, a pretty short time scale, right? Three days. So the three vines, the three baskets, this corresponds to three days. And, and in three days, there will be both great glory and great infamy. <laughs> he says in three days, cupbearer, and he uses a pun, right? Cupbearer, your head will be lifted up to great glory. And, and baker, your head will be lifted up off of you. You're going to be executed. Um, and the wild thing is it actually happens this way. The wild thing is that it actually happens this way. That the dreams evidently were truly from God. And Joseph, apparently inspired by the Holy Spirit, actually understood that which was to come to pass and revealed it correctly to these men. And it happens just as he said. Along the way, Joseph pleads with the cupbearer. Joseph apparently believes it's actually going to happen before it happens. He pleads with the cupbearer, but not with the baker. He says, cupbearer, when you're restored, because I know you will be, please remember me. Joseph is a man of faith in this way. He believes that what God has revealed will come to pass. But the cupbearer is forgetful. Perhaps he's a little too free with his own supply. I don't know. But he forgets Joseph. And it's not until two years later. And the coming of another dream that the cupbearer remembers Pharaoh. Uh, the cupbearer remembers Joseph, rather. Pharaoh's dream is another whole level of weird. It's a little ominous, isn't it? Right, you've got these seven. Now seven's the number we're dealing with. Seven cows and seven grains of, of wheat, these corns of wheat. And you've got these seven beautiful, plump cows, right? Healthy cows. And then there's these seven gaunt, skinny cows that come along and devour them. And the same with the wheat. You've got the, the seven healthy ones and then the seven shriveled ones. You can imagine being the, well, I imagine being a great emperor would be an, a source of a certain amount of anxiety anyways, right? But then you wake up with this, having had this dream, and you're in a cold sweat, and you can't get it out of your head, right? 
and you're not living in a secular society. You're living in a society where things actually mean something, where dreams actually have significance. And so, and so Pharaoh's got a sense, I don't know what this is, but I've got to figure it out. He can't get it out of his head. It's interesting to read in verse 8, we're told in the morning his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh gives a call out to, you know, the University of Cairo, you know, all the PhDs he can gather, all the magicians and sorcerers and priests in Egypt, right? Anyone with any kind of credentials who ought to be able to tell Pharaoh something about that that which will come to pass, something about what's going to happen in the dream. But no one's able to give him anything. All the king's horses and all the king's men, all the wisest men of the greatest empire in the world can tell Pharaoh nothing. They can tell him nothing. And ultimately we see it's only God who can reveal to Pharaoh that which will come to pass. Only God is sovereign over these things. I think we can see a pretty clear parallel with this in terms of our own culture and in terms of our own searching out the deep things of the world. How is it that we can understand what is to come? How is it that we can understand the true nature of the universe? How is it that we can know what will happen in our future? How can this be revealed to us, right? Well, there's any number of experts out there who will make any number of speculations. Various kinds of meteorologists making forecasts about the weather this week or about the economic forecast this decade or about the environmental forecast over the next 50 years. There's any number of people out there who, who will make all kinds of forecasts and most of them will be mostly wrong. There is only one God and he is the sovereign Lord over all things. There is only one author of the future. We can look, we can go down many pathways to seek to understand many things. But ultimately, if we would understand the, the deepest realities of the universe, and if we would understand anything true about that which is to come, we'll need to hear it from the one who's writing the story. That's the only place we can put our sure confidence. It's worth maybe just noting at this point, some of those that Pharaoh calls to him are, are magicians. These are sorcerers, diviners, mediums of some kind. Um, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's not merely consulting scientific experts. In fact, the scientific and, and the spiritual wouldn't have had a clear differentiation at this point or in this culture. Um, there's a long history in scripture of God warning his people 
against these kinds of discerning the future, or these ways of discerning deep knowledge. Even all the way back to the garden, a, a, a part of the promise of the serpent to Eve, right? What's the tree that they were tempted to eat from? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's something core to our rebellion against God that's related to a thirst for knowledge which is beyond us, a thirst for things which God has not disclosed to us. And so a part of the life of faith, a part of the Christian life, is learning contentment with that which God has revealed. To understand, we have what God has spoken, and this is good. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children. And we're meant to learn a contentment with that. Well, Pharaoh despairs, but the chief cupbearer remembers. I wonder if as all the, he's watching all of the smartest people he's ever seen wrestle with this dream and come up with nothing. I wonder how long it took the cupbearer to speak up and say, I know a guy, uh, he's in prison, he's a slave, but I think he might be able to help. He remembers eventually, and he speaks up. He recounts to Pharaoh what happened, that Joseph had interpreted their, their dreams to them exactly, and it had happened just as he said. And so Joseph is brought up. He's brought out of the pit. We're told that he, he changes his clothes. He shaves his hair. This would have been the Egyptian custom um, to, to, sh- to shave all the hair of his head and of his face. And he's brought before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Again, Joseph attributes this power only to God. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And so here I want to pause and think about the significance of these first two dreams. These two dreams, which disclosed the future and which then came to pass just as Joseph had said, what role do these play in terms of Joseph's ministry? They establish his credibility. They establish his credibility to the cupbearer and then through the cupbearer to the Pharaoh, that this is a man who can be trusted to disclose the deep truths of God. This is one who's been given some kind of a gift of interpretation or of prophecy. This is one who can be trusted. Do we have a Joseph who can speak to us words which we can trust? Do we have a source through which we can actually hear the deep things of God through whom God has spoken? A greater Joseph has come. A greater prophet, a greater interpreter of the plans of God who speaks with even more authority. We don't have to have dreams to understand the will and plans of God. All we need to do is open our ears to the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who established his authority by greater proofs than these of Joseph. Jesus spoke many things across his ministry which have since come to pass. 
perhaps most radically when he spoke to his disciples and told them that he was going to die, which they denied. They said, no, 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 Jesus, that can't happen that way. He said, no, I, I, I must die. But he promised them not only that he would die, but that three days later he would be raised from the dead. He promised them both that he would be executed and then that his head would be raised to glory, great glory, exalted again to the right hand of the Father. Well, the crazy thing about Joseph's interpretations is that they came to pass. The crazier thing about Jesus' promise is that it actually came to pass. That Jesus was crucified just as he said, betrayed by his friend, hung on the cross by the Romans. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead and appeared to many witnesses. And it's that message, that truth, which has rocked the world for the last 2,000 years. And it's that reality, perhaps more than any other, that causes us to listen up when Jesus speaks. There's a lot of people out there make, who've made a lot of claims about how the world is supposed to be. There's a lot of people out there who make a lot of claims about who God is. There's only one who's been raised from the dead. Joseph predicted that, one, that after three days, one man would be raised and the other would be executed. Jesus predicted that he would be executed and that in three days he himself would be raised to glory. Jesus is the greater prophet. He's worth listening to. He's proven his credibility. Well, we find Joseph now before Pharaoh and credible. And he interprets to Pharaoh what these dreams mean. He says that there are two dreams, but they're actually one. Here's what's going to happen. And it's interesting. He doesn't just say, this is what I know is going to happen. And he doesn't just say, this is what God knows is going to happen. He says, this is what God is going to do. You see, God understands the future not just as a passive observer who can see that which will come to pass. He understands history and the future as the very author of the story. Verse 28, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. We have confidence about what God has disclosed about that which will come to pass in the future, not just because God can see it beforehand, but because God has promised that he will bring it to pass. Well, Joseph explains what's going to come to pass. Seven and seven. Seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Seven years of famine so great that the seven years of plenty will pale in comparison. There will be nothing left. It's interesting. Joseph doesn't just tell Pharaoh what God is going to do, what's going to happen. He also tells Pharaoh what he, sh what he should do, which is um, pretty bold to come before the Pharaoh. He goes beyond just interpreting the dream in terms of what it means. He then says, and this should be your policy, Pharaoh. He steps into the, into the role of counselor, of advisor to this great man 
He says, this is what God, God's going to do. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And this is what you should do in light of it. Store up grain. Store up for yourself bread so that when the day comes, you will live. And this, as we'll see in the next couple of weeks, is exactly what happens. It comes to pass just as Joseph says. And not only does it happen just as Joseph says, Pharaoh taps Joseph on the shoulder and says, well, why don't you be that man, right? Because Joseph advises specifically, you should, you should probably have a grain czar or something, right? You should, you should appoint someone to, to watch over the silo construction. And, Joseph, and uh, Pharaoh says, all right, well, you're the only one with the, with the brains enough to come up with a plan. We'll have you do it. In fact, he doesn't, he doesn't attribute it to Joseph's brains, verse 38. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Pharaoh, whatever understanding he had of the, the theological nature of the universe, recognized this Joseph, he's the real deal. Whatever God he's talking about, this is the real deal. Well, I want us to see here as we come to a close that Jesus, the greater Joseph, Jesus the surer prophet, has revealed to us, too, that which will come to pass in the future. It'd be real nice to have, it'd be real nice to have a weather forecast for our lives, wouldn't it? Right? The seven-day, the ten-day forecast. Um, we don't have that. God hasn't given that to us. On occasionally, God will, on occasion, God will sometimes reveal things to us, but but more regularly, he simply allows us to trust in him and in his kind providence. But as he did to Pharaoh, so God has made very clear to us some of the macro level, big level plans in terms of what we should expect. And one of the things which Jesus spoke about in no uncertain terms is that though he has gone to be with the Father, he is coming again. That there is a day coming when Christ will come again and the dead will be raised to life. And on that day there will be a, a judgment that those who are in rebellion against God, those who have set their faces against the God who is life, will be cast into the outer darkness. And that those who have looked to God, those who have made Jesus Christ, their hope and life will be brought into eternal life with the Father forevermore. Jesus describes this in John 5, verse 28. He says, don't marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Well, that's what's going to happen. The question is then, what, what are we to do in light of this, right? God intended years of famine for Egypt, but he hadn't left them without hope. He gave them the way to life, right? Through Joseph, he reveals this is the way you can live. You need bread, and I'm going to provide it for you. Seven years of abundance. Put it aside so that when the day comes, you can eat of that bread and live. And in the same way, 
in the face of the of the day that is to come, God has not left us without without hope. He has made very clear in and through the person of Jesus Christ, this is the way to life. This is the way to eternal life. And Jesus says it very clearly in John chapter 6. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. This is John 6, 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The fact is, in our sin, in our rebellion against God, we are running in the direction of darkness and, in de- and of death. But God has held out to us the promise of life in Jesus Christ. God in love has come into the world and he said, this is life if you would have it. And the promise is very bold. John 6, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever we are, from whatever background we come from, whatever the, our sense of the depth of our sin and of our need, Jesus opens wide the door and he says, all who will come to me, I will never cast out. Even as these hoppers of grain would one day be opened in those years of famine, right? Jesus opens the door to us and he says, here is life. Here is life if you would have it. And he himself is our bread. He himself is our life. Have we run to him? Have we put our faith in him? Knowing that which is to come, will we heed the word of God and run to him who is our bread, who is our life? Will we trust in Jesus? Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, We ask not not only that we would understand these things in our minds, and we need help with that because we're we've got thick thick heads sometimes. But not only that we would understand these things in our minds, but that we would understand these things in our hearts. Lord Jesus, not only that we would understand the mechanics of how you've offered us salvation if we would but put our faith in you, but that we would have a feeling sense of the love of Jesus, of the kindness you have shown us in our sin, in our rebellion, in running after us in love to bring us back into your presence. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for the promises you've offered us. We trust in you this morning, and we ask, Lord, that as we trust in you, you would give us true food that is eternal life, We long for the day when we will see you face to face. We ask, Lord, that you would use the rest of our days, the rest of our lives, that we might be instruments of your hope, that we could be beggars showing other beggars where we found bread, pointing back to Jesus, saying, here is life. Here is life. We love you, Lord Jesus. Please reveal these things to our hearts and to our minds in a real way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.
Praise God from whom.